Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Punch, Kick, Choke, Chat. My name is Sean Benson. I'm one of your hosts, and we're here with Sensei Jamie Seabrook tonight, and we're going to jump right in with a question, as we've been doing lately, and everybody seems to be loving. Um, Sensei, it's funny. I had this written down, and you just started talking about it right before we rolled camera, and uh, I want to ask you, and then we'll go around the horn a bit on it, how does having a really good, valid ground game make your striking better? Yeah, well, I, I feel like coming from a striking background, I started Kempo Karate in 1985. And really, I did nothing but striking arts up until um, 11 years ago. And, you know, the way I look at it is you got two hands and you have two feet, you know, if we're, if we're fortunate enough, blessed enough to have two hands and two feet, that's what we got. So I can use these in a new number of ways with punches, elbows, knees, kicks, whatever. But it's a whole different level of tightness, in my opinion, uh, when someone is skin tight to you via jujitsu. So sometimes when we talk about ranges and you know, I'm doing a jab, cross, an elbow, whatever I'm doing, a knee, um, if someone is good enough that they're able to get close enough where they take about take away my ability to strike, like a, to hit someone hard, I need I need a little bit of travel behind my strikes. But if someone is able to tie me up and take away my ability to effectively wind up with what I would call a level one punch. Uh, it changes everything. So the knowledge of jujitsu would say, okay, maybe the safest spots to be, um, this is kind of a Gracie jujitsu philosophy is green light, red light, green light. Green light is when you're far enough away or you can see either leg or either, either hand move where they can't effectively hit you. Red light is where I'm close enough that I can knock you out, but you can also knock me out. So it becomes a game of who lands the big punch. The other green light is when we're skin tight and I take away, you know, your ability to punch or kick because we're so tight. So I feel that level of range and distance management sometimes is missing from the striking arts because we always think that it's ability to punch and kick and move and sidestep. And all those are, are important in terms of timing. But what about the ability, the ability to close the gap and have the person so tight that you take away their ability to fight? And that's what I've I've learned from jujitsu and I feel like that has helped me with my striking because it gives me a new perspective on distance management and range. Um, so Sensei Suino, I want to go to you on that. I see you nodding along a lot. And um, of all us newer jujitsu folks on the call, you're the one who's got the real experience here. But what do you think about that idea of your striking improving when you have a ground game? Uh, I think it does make you think a lot differently about, about distancing and what is a um, what is a, a an option for that? You you know you know if you're if you're if you're having fun, you can play ground and pound too. You don't just have to play Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And a lot of times in ground and pound, from the bottom or the top, you're trying to punch with no traditional power sources, right? You got to access new ways of getting power, uh, new ways to find find your way in in the strikes. Um, I think it makes you more creative. It gives you stuff to think about. Um, yeah, and I love what uh, uh, Sensei Seabrook said about um, about that that idea of, of of changing your thinking about the clinch. It's now it's now uh, not just a means of going to the ground. It's also uh, a means of thinking about how to get strikes in. So it's 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 fascinating and a ton of fun, man. Um, I love how how much your eyes lit up when you said how much fun you could have doing ground and pound. <laughs> like, um, Sensei Dofa, where do you go with that? 
Uh, I, you know, I'm not even a year into um, grappling. I guess, I mean, Census Fino used to crush me into a ball once in a while when I would go there because um, we would trade stand up for ground stuff. Um, I did okay on the stand up stuff and then he destroyed me on the ground. Um, I don't know, right now, I, I guess my thoughts are not there as a beginner, right? So one of the things I think about is just in practical self-defense is the things I don't see coming, right? Like if somebody grabs you and yanks you onto the ground or I now feel like, okay, well, now I have something to do. I can get into a guard position. I can, and I don't think I'd try and finish on the ground at this point, but I do think that being on the ground, I'd be able to get back up on my feet right? I'd be able to sweep them, get back up on my feet or stomp them or do something to get back into the place that I feel comfortable um, and strong. Yeah. So it's almost the, the understanding of how to get out of it and get back to striking makes your striking better. Right. Yeah. Right on. Hanchi Legacy, I mean, you're not a grappler, but you've never needed to be. And you've allegedly dealt with some real shit in real situations. So what do you want to say about all this? Well, my question would be to you guys. Uh, are you talking about being attacked in the street? Which I I can absolutely see a good purpose in it, right? It's got to give you some type of an advantage. But, you know, um, I can't say anything about that because I'm, I'm a shore-end guy. I've been for 53 years and nobody's ever tried to tackle me ever. And I've been, uh, shamefully, I've been in quite a, in a few or one or two uh, fights in the street and nobody's ever tried to do that. Uh, so I don't know what to say, but uh, I do know that say you go to a tournament or you do stuff like that, that is definitely a benefit. And I agree with you, but I'm, I'm an old martial artist and I'm, I, I don't grapple with anybody. So I really have no, except to admire people who can do that. Um, Hanshi, you remind me, Eddie Bravo, who's one of the most legendary grapplers, he sort of created a new system and black belt under Machado. He talks about that. Um, he wished he didn't stop striking because the reason 99% of all fights go to the ground is because 99% of people don't know how to punch. And he goes, when you watch these videos, if one person in that knew how to throw a punch, it would never go to the ground. And I want to throw that back to you, uh, Sensei Seabrook. If we're talking about like real world, do you think that's accurate? That fights don't go to the ground? If someone knew how to actually hit. Well, a couple things. I would say that, like, uh, I have a lot of respect, by the way, Sensei Legacy. Not many people are going to be able to try to tackle Sensei Legacy. <laughs> uh, so that, that's the first. The, the second is is that, like, I, I, I feel like, like we speak different languages, obviously, depending on the style. Kempo talks about out-of-range control, within-range control, penetration control, what we call manipulation control, the range where we're close enough to apply joint locks, elbows, knees, et cetera. But again, a whole different level of tightness is skin tight. Uh, you know, coming from the, you know, training from the Gracie jiu-jitsu side of things, um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of, for example, of the, the well, the, even the early introduction of the UFC, where a lot of the strikers, the game, the plan was, I'm gonna knock this person out. And really, I believe that that is their game plan. They have to land the big strike to be able to end the fight. Whereas I feel like someone with strong jujitsu skills have a lot more options than just landing the one big shot because their objective is to get in and tie you up. And I, 
And I feel like a lot of the talk of BJJ is a lot of the same in the sportive aspect of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that really shocked me, I didn't know what I was getting into, but when I started training in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, the focus is like 99% street street self-defense, 1% sport. And like, for example, Kempo is known, uh, though, even if you're not from a Kempo background, you know this, Kempo is known for being a self-defense, predominantly technique martial art. Uh, up to what I've done in jiu-jitsu, I, there's way more techniques, even stand-up in jiu-jitsu than Kempo. So mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't know that. I assumed that 99.9% of what I would do would be on the ground, you know, in guard, side mount, mount, whatever it might be, back mount. But, um, but I've learned countless techniques, you know, for, you know, collar grabs, uh, chokes, wrist grabs, club attacks, knife attacks. And one of the things I appreciate about that is that they're short and sweet. Like the, I've always believed in when it comes to a weapon, a CDT, control, disarm technique. And I feel like techniques that are flashy that go on and on and on and on, the longer the person has a weapon in their hand, the greater your odds of being severely hurt, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I like sometimes the quick, short, it, 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 I, I'm not a, I, I'm away from sport and more street self-defense. Um, I know that some of the stuff that we would do in Kempo would be in a sportive realm, a jujitsu thing, because it looks flashier, but flashier doesn't equate with street self-defense. And it, and that was one of the things that really shocked me is how much focus there is specifically on, on street self-defense from the Elio Gracie side of things. Uh, mm-hmm. sure, sure. There is a, a small percentage of, of sport, but Unlike a lot of maybe what we think of as Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools, even though Gracie jiu-jitsu is obviously under the Brazilian jiu-jitsu realm, it, the focus is really um, a street self-defense. And that's something that I love. I mean, so I take that and I, and I think of my Kempo difference. So, you know, now if we're doing a move in Kempo where someone has us in a front choke and, you know, we're taught to, I don't know, ridge hand the groin, grab the groin, we call it locking horns. I go, yeah, we got quite lucky because if that was a guillotine, we're going to sleep, you know, so it's a different level of tightness. Um, So I, so I feel, and I, the other thing too, is I've always been a fighter in the sense, not in the street, but I love to, I've always been a a guy who likes to spar, but I feel like if I'm sparring someone um, of my caliber or, or a higher caliber and things aren't going right for me, like the fight's going on and on and overall I'm losing this fight. The only thing I can revert back to is use your brain, Jamie, and try to outsmart this person and land the big shot. But now everything changes because now I feel like, okay, get in, tie them up, take them to the ground. It's a whole different game. But I didn't have that skill set before. So I had to rely on grit my teeth, use better timing, better footwork, take better angles and try to land the big shot. Right. And I feel as soon as that tool set gets as limited so too to my options for success. So I feel like jujitsu opens up a, a new realm to the striking, to the striking game. And I love it. And plus, you know, we're all martial artists. It's just good too to change up our, uh, our training regime. You know, sometimes I have even students, even black belt level, you know, how do, you know, they'll say, you know, Jamie, how do you keep up that level of motivation? Change it up. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I'm the, I, I can still do katas, so the cow jumps on, I love them, but some people, they need a little change from that. So, you know, like I saw earlier, I saw the weapons on, do some weaponry. Ah, 
change it up and do some jujitsu, get into some sparring, work the pat. Like there's so much to do in martial arts to, to keep your motivation level up and, 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 and always try to have that as much as possible linear path to improvement. Love that. Love that. Sensei Dauphin, you had a thought before we intro our guest? Yeah. The, I wanted to say something that was corroborated by two people on the kind of the yin yang on the other side of it. I remember us asking Sensei Suino once, what do you do when a grappler shoots at you and they try and take you to the ground? Do you sprawl? Do you this? Do you that? And he was pretty simple about it. He said, strikers like you knee them in the face or elbow them in the back of the head or hit them. That's what you do. You don't sprawl. <laughs> and, and interestingly, Leo Lauks, I was chatting with him once and he said, um, in the beginning, the strikers lost to the grapplers because when they got taken down, they tried to grapple with them. But then later, as it evolved, when the grappler tried to take them down, the strikers just kept hitting them wherever they could hit them, in the kidneys, in the side of the head, wherever. So I don't know. And then it's evolved to what we're talking about now, a guy like GSB, where you just can't beat him anywhere. Like you try and stand up with him and he'll, he'll jab you into the next uh, realm or or shoot and crush you down into the ground and arm bar you and tear your head off. <laughs> thanks, Sensei Dauphin. Um, so everybody, thanks for joining us tonight. This is Punch, Kick, Choke, Chat, and I'm here with my Sensei, Sensei Suino, Sensei Dauphin, Hanchikari Legacy. And you know, I was thinking about this because um, sometimes I like to be a little provocative and go, you know, next week I'm gonna see Hanchi Legacy on my own. I'm going to see Sensei Dauphin on my own. I'm going to see them both together. And within a couple of weeks, I'm going to see Sensei Suino down in Michigan. And none of these people live closer than an hour and a half to me. So my challenge to you all is when's the last time you saw your sensei? I mean, I run a club here in Toronto and all these gentlemen run their clubs and we all find our senseis. And uh, sometimes not as much as we'd like, but it's a beautiful next couple of weeks for me. And so I think I'm just excited about that. And I want everyone to get excited to go see their senseis. So that's what I got tonight. Sensei Dauphin? This is what I got. I got to introduce Sensei Seabrook. And uh, I, I'm a respecter of education. I really like it. Sensei Legacy, in his words, said he'll always take a smart guy over a tough guy any day of the week. And Sensei Seabrook is definitely a smart guy. He has a PhD. Um, in the Department of Sociology at Western University, where Sean Benson and I both graduated from, Ooh. and since like he taught for a long time, go, go Stangs, go Stangs, go Stangs. <laughs> <laughs> He's also the chair and a professor in the School of Food and Nutrition Sciences at uh, mm -hmm. Russia, where he works with one of our our black belts, Ann Barnfield, who's also a professor there. Um, so Sensei Seabrook has trained, as you can tell, both broadly and specifically in a handful of very amazing martial arts. Um, and as well, he's had good success in all of them. Uh, he's currently an eighth Dan and has been training in American Kempo for 38 years, undergrad Grandmaster Larry Tatum. Uh, since the Seabrook has also received a black belt in modern Arnis under Grandmaster Remy Prius, who that name's come up on this show at least a half a dozen times. Uh, as well, a black belt in Black Dragon Kung Fu mm -hmm. under Master Paul Chow. Uh, since Seabrook has also, as we've been talking about, a two-stripe blue belt in the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu under Rainer Gracie and Roy Nunn Gracie. Uh, his dojo, Seabrook Martial Arts Academy, has been in constant operation in London, Ontario since 1995, and he leads all the classes there. Um, 
this is something that Sensei Legacy will like and I like as well. Um, unlike a lot of schools, uh, Sensei Seabrook will not promote young children to black belt. Uh, Seabrook Martial Arts Academy uh, commits to earning one's rank through years of rigorous application and commitment. Uh, and that dojo focuses on street level self-defense, not sport. In addition to American Kempo training, students are also taught effective kickboxing and ground fighting. And so for me, a lot of that stuff, I like the fact that the different arts that Sensei Seabrook does complement each other. There's some weapons in there. There's some grappling in there. There's some good stand-up in there. You need to know all of those things. Um, I got a lot of respect for his education and intelligence. I, I always respect people who go far in school. Um, and I really like, I align with those teaching goals, street level self-defense and earning rank, no children, black belts. That resonates with me completely. I have, there's, there's nothing controversial for me about those statements. And so I'm really excited to be getting into this conversation with Sensei Seabrook, and that's uh, my introduction for him. Thanks so much, Sensei Dofam. So for everybody watching who's on YouTube, I just want to say thanks. Hit that subscribe. Hit that like button. We're really happy you're here. Share with your friends. means the world to us. Listening on the podcast, I hope your drive's going well or you're cooking, however it is you're listening while, while you're doing this thing. And um, for those of you on the Zoom call tonight, we're really happy you're here. There's a chat button at the bottom, and that way you can be a part of this living history we're creating and ask us questions. Uh, and Andre, who's joining the show tonight, he'll light that up. There it is. And to your questions right there for Sensei Seabrook. And uh, lastly, be sure at some point during the show while you're listening to go check out punchkickchokechat.com. It's our pretty fantastic new website. If I do say so myself, I can because I didn't design it. People did it for us. We looked at it and went, wow, gave some guidance. But the creators of that with our input just did such a wonderful job. And we'd love you to go check it out, pop through it, check out some past episodes, et cetera. Um, Sensei Seabrook, this is always my favorite question of the show. What was it like growing up for you and what brought you into your first dojo? Yeah, so it was, uh, I remember it perfectly. It was, uh, the, what we have a, something in London, Ontario called the Western Fair, where every, uh, you know, once a year we have, uh, um, you know, games, rides, uh, events. And I saw a martial arts, uh, demonstration in 1985 and, uh, I was very, very impressed. There was a few going on. And, um, you know, as a, as a young uh, boy, I was, I was 10 years old and uh, I'm usually captivated by, uh, you know, scary rides and, you know, all the fun stuff. And, but it wasn't that it was martial arts that intrigued me. And I didn't want to, you know, I was with my parents. I didn't want to keep walking. I wanted to watch these martial arts uh, experts put on their demonstration and I watched the demonstration and I said to, to my dad, I want to do martial arts. And the very next night I signed up in martial arts in Kenpo Karate in my region. And, uh, and it stuck. And it was really interesting because at the time, the, the Kenpo school that I was going to um, was also doing, uh, where it was also linked with Grandmaster Remy Priestess in Modern Arnis. So I started Kenpo Karate in 1985 and then around 87-ish, um, was my first introduction to Grandmaster Remy Priestess, who, who really traveled the, the North America circuit, more so in the United States. And I started going and, and attending uh, a lot of seminars with Remy Priestess. So I had that kind of Kempo Arnis linkage. And, uh, and interestingly, 
like most young kids that um, don't stick with it. I think maybe I was, uh, I want to say blue belt. And, you know, I'd start, you know, faking stomach cramps, mm. fake, faking headaches and this karate night, I, you know, and I, I was, uh, it, it wasn't something I loved around purple blue. And then someone that all of you have heard of, um, Wally J came and gave a seminar at the martial arts school and, you know, Wally put on a demonstration and at a, at a, at a seminar and this is the honest truth. The, the, a picture of Wally J hangs in my in my in my garage dojo. Uh, I I went back and I said to my to my dad, "I'm going to do martial arts for the rest of my life." And that one seminar changed everything that Wally J put on because I was so impressed by his skill and his humility. And I and that was it. And 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 from that point forward, and I'm saying this honestly and humbly. I got, I, I lost a lot. Like we, we would compete in tournaments. And it's one thing to, one thing to get, to go in sparring and lose. It's another thing to get dead last every single time. And, and that's the honest truth. And, and I'm like, what, what fun is there about getting, you know, kicked in the gut, punched in the face? Like this isn't a lot of fun. And, and, and honestly and humbly, uh, everybody loses. But I, I always came first and second for the rest of my life after that Wally J seminar, because from that point on, I wanted to strive to be the best that I could be because I was so inspired by his skill and humility that it didn't matter if I lost, but every single time I went out there, I'm striving for number one, because that is my, I don't want to just go in there and just go and see what happens. I want to go in there with the expectation, although it could, it might not happen with the expectation that I'm going to, to win this thing because I was so inspired by his uh, by his skill level and humility, and that point out from onward changed everything for me. That's fantastic, Sensei Suino. Yeah, so Sensei Seabrook, how old were you at that time when you first met Wally J? Well, I started martial arts at ten, so eighty eight. I want to say twelve or thirteen. So it's really interesting to hear you say that his humility resonated with you. That's not something you would normally expect a 12 or 13 year old to say. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, I just, you know, I guess I had an impression of, you know, someone who holds a very high ranking black belt of being highly skilled and knowing and telling everyone about how skilled they were. He wasn't like that at all. He was uh, humorous. Uh, uh, fun, loving, caring, uh, gave great feedback, high five, and 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 a lot of the the joint locks, finger locks, throws that he was doing, and I saw his black belts like falling down like flies. I'm like, man, this is some really cool stuff. This guy is a an older man, and his skill level is just impressing me so much. I want to be like this guy one day. So then, you know, and Wally J, by the way, was very linked up with uh, with Remy Priestess as well. They traveled a lot in circuits and seminars together. So a lot of the joint locks and the throws resonated with me. And, and you know, couple that with the, you know, the close in fighting of Kempo, it just, it seemed like an obvious uh, a fit. But really, really, you know, I have assigned uh, a photo of Wally J from, I want to say 88, it might have been 87. Uh in my garage and that changed everything. And again, I think I was about blue belt level at the time. And, and from that point on, I, I never looked back. Hanchi, you knew uh, Professor Wally J, didn't you? What were your impressions? 
Um, I knew I trained with him for 10 years. Yeah. What, what kind of man was he for you? He, for me, he, he was quiet. He's the inventor of the small circle theory. Uh, he, him and Richard Kim and uh, quite a few other well-known. And Richard Kim was my sensei for 10 years as well. That's the 10 years I trained with him. Uh, he was good at what he did. He, it wasn't much effort, but I will have to say this, that he trained in one art. That's all I have to say, right, about all that. In the, in the words of uh, okay, I lost it. I just picked something up. No, but I, I trained with him many a times, and I was a, always a karate guy, and a lot of the stuff he taught, the wrist locks, the grabs, the finger breaking techniques and all that, and slipping things, he was exceptional. But he was a very quiet man. So, Sensei Seabrook, I actually want to go back um, to something you mentioned about being that inspired. And, you know, Sensei Suno asked about the humility and so on. But I actually want to ask sort of for you to help people watching. How does a 12 or 13 year old or any age person just watch somebody and unlock a potential within them such that they can go from last place to first or second place? Because obviously that means your skills weren't lacking. So what can we say to people listening or what can you say to help me to unlock a thing that's already ready, but for some reason you need a stimulus and how can someone find that stimulus if they don't run into a Wally J by chance? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be a, you know, Wally J. It, it, it can be someone who you look to as a good leader that is inspiring to you that can be life changing. I mean, to me, to me, at the end of the day, I know that not everyone is going to stick training for the rest of their life. I wish they did, but they don't. I mean, that's reality. People come and go. They move locations. They get new jobs. They build relationships. Uh, but there's one thing that I would like all of my students ideally is to go, you yeah, know, he made an impact on my life. So, so uh, I didn't train by the way, and I don't want to give that impression. It was just a seminar with Wally J. I, I, to be honest, I did a few with him, but it was really, that triggered me with, a lot with uh, growing in my tempo and, and progressing in my Filipino martial arts. And at the time too, you know, it was, uh, you know, 87-ish, 88, 88 is also when I got, uh, I mean, I've always been pure Kempo, but that's also when uh, someone in our area who I also have a lot of, of respect for, uh, Master Paul Chow, um, when I got introduced to Paul Chow and, and, and started training in, in a lot of the Chinese, the Chinese way of thinking with the, with the Kung Fu, uh, Kempo has always been my base art and always will be. I, I, our, pri our, our main system that I teach in my school is Kempo Karate, and I don't I don't always I don't always think it's best. This is my personal opinion. I like cross training, but to show students this and this and this and this and this because they they're all it's all over the place. So my curriculum is is American Kempo. However, on the side, if they would like to train, for example, in Gracie Jiu Jitsu, I offer that. So that is like separate. And then sometimes I might introduce some of the philosophies within my class. But I, that that one inspiring thing to go back to your question. It doesn't have to be a Wally J. It has to be someone who, 
who you look up to that's a leader uh, from whatever martial arts style. And I'm, I'm, I'm someone who has respect for all styles. Everyone believes their style's the best. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe Kenpo Karate is the best. I don't believe Jiu Jitsu is the best. I believe uh, uh, practitioners in their particular arts uh, is really what it's all about. I, I mean, I, I honestly and humbly, I, I fought every, people from all different styles. And sometimes we like to criticize someone from this style. Have you ever fought someone from that style? Probably shouldn't say anything yet, right? Or if you, if, if, if someone from a striking art criticizes someone from a jujitsu art, have you ever fought someone with a jujitsu background? Okay, so you're, 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 what you're saying is based on extremely limited knowledge. I used to think a lot of the same things at one point too, but then this is my personal opinion. If you have a high rank black belt and you haven't lost in a while, I believe it's good to lose. That, that is my honest opinion. I feel like sometimes we, we move up in skill level where at the 25 year mark, 30 year mark, 35 year, whatever it might be. And, 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 and sometimes, and it's okay, but students elevate our status too high. It's, it's humbling to lose. So one thing that has helped me a lot in my Kenpo karate training, I'm going to tap out when I, when I, when I fight in jujitsu, it's just a reality because, uh, but that losing makes you better because it makes your perspective change. Hey, I got caught with this. What can I do next time? But when you never lose, I feel like sometimes you have a, a, an unrealistic expectation of what reality is like. That's my personal opinion. You're not going to get a disagreement here. Sensei Dolphin yeah. and I were just having this phone conversation yesterday. About, and, and he we learned this from Hanchi Legacy, losing to win. Yeah. Losing to win. Putting ourselves in uncomfortable positions. Losing so that one day you don't lose at that thing anymore. Um, I want to I want to dig into the whole Kempo concept, but before we do, let's just talk about no children black belts because that's something we all have in common. And like Sensei Dauphin said, that's not controversial for us, but many people don't operate that way. What's your thinking on that? And you know, what's your thinking on people who don't do that? I have a few thoughts. One is that uh, in the 1980s, the uh, famous Karate Kid 1983 came out, which was very nice for martial arts schools and karate schools. <clears throat> By the way, they're still my favorite movies, karate movies of all time. I, I like the morality of the Miyagi, Daniel, uh, and, and the Cobra Kai series. But, uh, but that really helped karate schools. Uh, and then the UFC came out and, and it was the big MMA wave and then karate wasn't enough. And, you know, so things change over time with, with, with exposure. We know that. Um, but, uh, sorry, can you go back to your question again? Well, I was, um, really just wanting to ask you, pardon me, I lost the thread on it because yeah. I was reading a note. Can, can you uh, remind me, Sensei Dauphin? It's just like, what is your, why, why are you feeling no, we all oh, agree. Yeah. yeah. A 16 year old. Or, oh yeah. So, so here's where I was going with that. Thank you. Um, martial arts schools right now. It is very difficult to remain highly successful financially. That is my honest opinion. There's a small percentage, this is me speaking, that are highly successful with a lot of students that are all very good. Small percentage. This is what I believe. There's a large percentage that might be successful and the students don't always show in terms of their skill. 
And I believe that the commercial model of I don't care if a brown or black belt leaves as long as three new people come in because I'm making more financially, I don't think that's great. And I think that commercial model is if I make more money, I am being more successful. So if I promote more people more quickly and have belt tests of 50 black belts at a time being promoted with a mean age of nine, I'm going to make a lot of money. But the problem is, the problem is, is that martial arts, I, I, I believe this, it, it, martial arts can change your life forever for, for the good. I believe it's that good. And by the way, you know, when we talk about academia, I can't say this enough. Part of the reason why I was able to get a PhD is because of martial arts. But honestly, the discipline, my reward system during my master's and PhD was doing forms, katas, weapons. That was my reward for my training. Like it wasn't turning to alcohol and drugs. That was my discipline. I, it's just something I love to do. But the commercial schools of focusing on, you know, we have, this is me speaking, we have over 10,000 or 5,000 black belt graduates. I don't think that's something necessarily to brag about. If you're, if you're spitting out so many black belts every single, you know, six months, like a black belt should be coveted and reserved to those who've put in countless years of discipline, sacrifice. There's why, why when people go to school, do they have to put in so many years to obtain a, a master's degree or a PhD, but not in martial arts? I'm not saying all of us, obviously not us, because we we think different. But why is it that someone can start at age five and by, by age nine have a black belt on there? Like, it, 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 to me, that's giving the general public a bad conception of martial arts. Oh, I know, you know, Johnny down the street, you know, who's a black belt first degree. That's not how martial arts is meant to be. And, I, and, and, and I've always said this, that if we actually look up the word martial, it means militaristic-like or military-like, war-like. So what are children learning? that are warlike, not that we're out to, you know, but martial arts is about self-defense. So the growth of the children is very, very important, but it, it, it like to obtain a black belt should be limited to those who have put in unconditional amount of time and sacrifice with their instructor and <laughs> years of dedication. That That's, that's my take. So I, I, to me, I'm more proud of those who have put in countless years of, I mean, one of my black belts now, I think is 25, 26 years. They've been training with me and there's about three or four that are that long. And you know what? They, they, they still come out and do two hour, two hour private lessons with me every single month. So it's like they're there to grow and not just, you know, a quick rank advancement. Um, Sensei Sweden, let's go to you on this one. I know we've discussed it a little on the show, but is there anything you want to, you want to add before I go to the legacy senseis? Uh, yeah, I know Hanchi will uh, have about five words on this, and it'll it'll set the entire subject to rest. So, but I'll babble on in my usual in my usual way, <laughs> which is that um, I just think it's a travesty that there are schools that give nine year olds black belts. Um, uh, uh, black belt is is something meaningful. It means you've 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 changed yourself, it, and it means that you have a fighting chance uh in in self-defense it means you have a certain amount of wisdom to go with the techniques uh it's just not trivial and and uh the, the interestingly 
the newcomer on the block, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, proved that you don't have to accelerate people through ranks to get their respect and have them join it, right? There's more people doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu than, than almost all the other martial arts combined now. And it takes freaking years to get a black belt. So it's kind of a, um, it kind of, it's, 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 you know, when everybody, when everybody realized the cornflakes were not good for you and went back to eating bacon and eggs, or at least I did, um, we all said, holy crap, we just wasted the last 50 years. And I think a lot of schools compromise themselves on the, on the basis of money, I guess, or, or something, ease, comfort, and started giving out black belts to kids uh, when they really didn't have to. It's not necessary. Mm. Kids, kids understand the value of something too, and you just have to frame it right. Thanks, Sensei. I'm going to go to you, Sensei Dofa, and end with Hanchi on this one. Well, you know, I just, kids can't, like, and when I say kids, like, there's been a handful of, like, 16-year-olds in Legacy Sharon Root, but these are people who, like, they kick you in the solar plexus and, like, bust your ribs or, like, punch you in the side of the head and you wake up, like, two seconds later going, what happened there, right? So, and you talk to them and like Sensuino said, they're a little more mature than the average kid and their brain is functioning a little different than the average person. Um, so younger people, I think, and they've trained since they were four years old. So younger people, I think, can get it, but they're like, they're in the like half a percentage of people who should be getting that. And honestly, yeah. Sean, we're not talking about the other people who just get black belts who don't deserve them also, right? Like we're, we're focused on kids Right. But at but any age. Yeah, there's a lot of people where you stand <laughs> in front of them. Sensei Legacies laugh at me in the past because when I was in my 30s, I get so flipping irritated with people. I'd say, I want to put my black belt in the dojo and their black belt in the dojo. And the two of us fight and whoever wins gets both black belts and the other one quits martial arts forever. <laughs> so, so um, I think there has to be what we've all said. Right. But my simple question would be if you asked a lay person who doesn't do martial arts, tell me a black belt, name a black belt, would they name a kid? Would they pull any kid's name out of a hat? No, they'd say Chuck Norris, Steven Seagal, Bruce Lee. They would name all adults and they would have that image from the movies of what none of them would say uh, the 10 year old kid down the street. That's not what they would say. So um, I don't know why people do it. I can't rationalize it. Has to be money or ego. Um, that's it. Right on. And Hanchi, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Five words <laughs> or more, according to Sensei Suino. Just generally, uh, first of all, I've known Paul Chow, who was probably the best Kung Fu guy I've ever seen uh, for 45 years. We've been friends that long. First of all, um, the reason for belts is for order. It's not to show off who you are, right? It's so the sensei knows. It's like when Funakoshi first went to Japan and started teaching karate. There were so many students, he couldn't tell who he had taught what. So he used the Jigeru Kano's belt system so he could tell where the students were. So it's for order. And also so that the beginners would know who to listen to. So that's that's one way of uh, looking at belts. The other thing about children is, um, I've said this before on the show, but I'll just 
Say it again. If you had a 12-year-old student, 12-year-old kid at your house, whether a boy or a girl, and uh, they were black belts, all of a sudden everybody's sleeping at night and two thieves break into your house. Are you going to send that 12-year-old downstairs to defend your house? No, you're not. Because like what somebody said before, I forget who it was, adult means that you're deadly in the art, that you've matured in the art. And uh, none of my senseis or all classical senseis, no one that I ever heard of from my lineage has ever given anyone under the age of 16 a black. They're dishonoring or misleading their student and dishonoring the art. Thanks, Hanchi. I love hearing that every time because I agree so strongly. And some lessons are lovely to hear repeated. Um, Sensei Seabrook, let's get back to Kempo. Like break down first, because when I started coming up, we're actually the same age, but when I started, I, I started later than you. And Kempo was one of those like had a nice mystique around it, and Ed Parker, and like it was known as so legit. And it's really awesome to have you here. And I know that you've got Ed Parker and Larry Tatum and you, and that lineage is really clean. And so talk to us about why is Kempo awesome? And then what brought you from Kempo to your Shirinji room? Not Shirinji room. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I never tried. Oh, oh, okay. So I'll get you the Kempo, Kempo lineage. Yeah. So um, what I like about Kempo is that Kempo is not a pure art. It's not a traditional art. It's a modern evolving format in the sense that um, we have a, a base system that Ed Parker left us. Uh, it's predominantly technique-based. There's 154 self-defense techniques from white to black belt. I do three additional ones that were subsequently removed years ago. So 157. Then we have another 96 extensions beyond that taken from our orange and our purple and our blue and our green techniques, which add, if something goes wrong, we can now go into this. So there's, there's, there's a, it's very self-defense based for the most common attack scenarios, uh, chokes, uh, headlocks, uh, uh, collar grabs, wrist grabs, whatever that might be, punch attacks. Um, we, have, we have club. Um, it, it, we also have sets and forms. The sets are like our appendices. So the way we kind of do that is the first four, first four of what we call kata's forms, they're dictionary forms. They teach us basics in motion. And then at green belt level and higher, we get into what we call encyclopedia forms, where we actually um, expand beyond just our basics and start to incorporate our self-defense techniques right within the katas. Kempo is a study of motion, the, the way Ed Parker left it. Um, it teaches us, uh, you know, basically what we call rules and principles of motion, that everything has a reverse and an opposite. Um, we have something in Kempo that sounds very analytic called category completion. Hey, we showed you something over here. We got to show you how to do it on the other side. Or So it's very, it's very, um, Ed Parker's genius comes out throughout all of the ranks. And I feel like um, while there might be arts that throw better, there might be arts that kick better, there might be arts that grapple, grapple a bit more or better, Kempo is, is, uh, is really much exposed to all of it. So I do like that and appreciate it. And, and 
And having trained in Kung Fu, Ernest, Jiu Jitsu, and, and, and obviously Kempo, I feel like of all of the arts, Kempo that I've been exposed to is definitely the most complete of all of them. And everything follows in a very logical and sequential order. So even, 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 I know that's typical of other martial arts styles too, but even the sequential order of the katas are interesting. We go from, um, uh, to blocking, to blocking. We can't just block. We've got to counter with the punch. And then we move from, okay, we've taken the 90 degree angles. Now we're going to learn to take the 45 degree angles. So we, we, if you look at it, most beginners, for example, if I take someone who's never trained in martial arts before, I go, Hey, I'm going to throw a couple punches at you. I'm going to see what you're going to do. Most don't step forward on an angle. They step back. So Ed Parker is like, let's teach students what's natural to them early. So they're going to learn how to step back and retreat and block. And then once they acquire skills, they start to take more of the 45 degree angles in advance. And it's kind of like that when we actually go think of any martial arts style, you know, as we move up in rank, we go, oh, shoot, you have to step back. I want to step forward on the angle there and cut off the line of entry. Yeah, because now we've acquired enough skill to, to recognize that. So everything, I feel like the system is very um, logical in how Ed Parker put it together. Now, to be honest, we, this is me speaking from a, a Filipino martial arts background. Um, we have five, what we call lance techniques in Kempo and knife techniques. Uh, I feel the FMA is superior. So I feel like the FMA, the Filipino martial arts training, uh, I try to use that to maybe, I, I still teach the system intact. I don't believe in digressing, teach the blueprint that Ed Parker taught exact, but I feel my FMA training can say, now how can we tighten up these knife techniques and fill those gaps that maybe might be missing a little bit? Or if we're doing moves in Kempo for like a club technique, but you've never picked up a club before, well, you can learn a technique to defend against a club, but let's be honest, if you have no experience of actually how to use the club, the odds of you being able to defend against a weapon you've never used before are very slim. So what I try to do is work a lot of uh, repetition drills with clubs and knives to get that, build that skill set and that coordination. So when it comes to a lot of our tempo techniques, it's a lot more natural. But if I'm comparing the arts that I've trained in, by far, Kempo is the most complete. And and, and then that includes the, the historically going back, you know, almost a thousand years Kung Fu as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, so like talk to so, us about that time and, and that training. Yeah, so I, I think the big difference would be um, Kempo is very hands-on and that's not that the Kung Fu isn't. Like the Kung Fu was amazing and I, and I, and I still train and practice Kung Fu a lot. And, there was a, the, the forms are, are very complex in Kung Fu. The weaponry is outstanding. We did a lot of, lot of fighting. Uh, I credit a lot of my sparring skill to Master Paul Chow. He's a phenomenal fighter. Uh, but one of the things I love about Kempo is that we get good at it by feeling it. So it, it's one thing to do everything in the air. Uh, it's another thing to feel the body. So when, I don't know, I'll just make something up. If someone has me in a rear choke, it's great for me to do it on people of all different sizes and shapes because not everyone's I'm, I'm a short guy. I'm five, six. I like to do it on people who are six, four or six, two or six, one. So I feel, Oh, you know what? Like, you know, I have to, I might have to alter where my targets based on the height of the opponent, or we have a technique in yellow called deflecting hammer where I 
where I deflect the front kick and I do an inward horizontal elbow, which, by the way, is targeted between the eyes. Problem is I'm 5'6", and most of my people that I go against are 6'1". So I'm going to elbow the chest, but that's perfectly fine. But that, that tailoring the art is important in Kempo because we learn how through contact. And I think the contact is, is key to do it on all different body sizes and shapes. And, and I also want to say, you know, too, um, uh, this is my opinion and not everyone agrees with it, but um, size and strength do matter. Mm. So, so I, I feel, I feel like if I'm teaching for like yesterday, I did a, I taught a, a, a woman's empowerment self-defense seminar for women at Brescia. The way I teach women is I say, okay, a bigger, stronger, heavier male is attacking you. I might teach something different than I would t- teach of a class full of men. So if I'm telling a woman who's never trained martial arts before to outstrike their opponent, like, let's be honest, they're going to be really, really nervous and most won't feel comfortable doing that. Or if I only teach Kempo and I say, okay, gouge the eyes, chop the throat, elbow the nose, and then run. Well, take that exact same scenario and put them in a situation where they're with their significant other. And whether with their significant other, they're at, I don't know, a, a gathering a, 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 of a workplace gathering. And, you know, one person, their, their, their partner wanders off and a male's hitting on the female. You think she's going to gouge someone's eyes at, at, at a, her, her boyfriend or her husband's convention? Of course not. So what does she do? She freezes and doesn't know what to do. So sometimes basic escapes that don't require gouging eyes and chops. Like we have to, we have to think about how we're teaching based on the size and sex and the weight and all that stuff matters. I love what you're saying. So I want to actually go around the horn on this. I want to go around on the idea of size and strength mattering. And I want to go around on the effectiveness or what the limits, like the real limits and benefits are of self-defense courses. Sensei Suino? Uh, size and strength matter tremendously. That doesn't mean you can never overcome the uh, the advantage or increase your right as the as the intensity and um, challenge increases over time. You can increase your ability to deal with it. Right? You may have to fight differently against bigger people. You may have to be more sophisticated. Um, you can get a little more achy like in a way. Right? You don't go directly <clears throat> force on force. Uh, but there is absolutely no question in anything any martial art I've ever done. Uh, that that they have a huge effect on, you know, street street fighting, sport fighting, or just training. Yeah, and self defense courses. What's what's the limit of them? What's the benefit? Well, <laughs> I've got all the stories from uh, uh, all the all the ends. Um, I've taught self defense to people all over the all over the world, and 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 uh, everything from. Uh, uh, a class of sorority girls to um, to uh, you know law enforcement and special forces people, um, and most of the stories are hilarious. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, you know the the big frustration as the person who sometimes teaches lay people self defense is that lay people want to walk into a think they think they want self defense. They walk into a self defense class, and it turns out that they can't put their left foot forward when you ask them to, or they get gassed after three punches. Um, and you know, my frustration with that is, um, and this is size and strength and fitness matter. Um, uh, I just tell them, look, you come back after you've gotten yourself into a, you know, three times a week 
you know, workout routine, go do some, uh, go do some cardio kickboxing, uh, and then go to title boxing and start hitting a heavy bag, you know, and then a year and a half come back when you know which foot is left and which foot is right. And that you can, uh, actually sustain your attention and your, and your, um, Mm. and your stamina for 45 minutes. Then I can start really teaching you some meaningful self-defense until that time. You're just pretending. Mm. Sensei Dauphin. Uh, again, size and strength definitely matter. Um, but I will say that training is the equalizer, right? So my daughter's Sydney's like 135 pounds and Shaggy's like 120, a buck 20. Um, but you wouldn't want to grab a hold of either one of them and just think, oh, this is just some young, small girl. You'd be in for a rude awakening. But I just was in here and I said, under pressure, you're not going to rise to the occasion. You're going to sink to your highest level of training. So you have to be trained really well to be able to deal with somebody who's bigger, stronger, and faster than you. But if you train properly, you can. You you can. Um, uh, Sensei Seabrook, you you laugh. Your example was bad like for me because my, my wife is a martial artist now. But uh, before she was, if I took her to a, a thing and it was a conference and some guy bugged her, she'd definitely gouge her eyes. And <laughs> a great person, don't get me wrong, but she's got a forward attitude and I love that. Um, self-defense seminars don't work. Uh, I always tell people, when, and I teach a lot of them too, I tell people, have some fun with this, like have some fun and enjoy yourself in this seminar when you go away, spend some time thinking about this seminar and then go find yourself a good martial arts dojo. And I hope that the self-defense seminar is a bridge to get you into realizing your own lack of ability and your own lack of ability mm-hmm. to handle a certain situation. And then that drives you into a place where, you know, you, you realize the work you have to, have to actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to chip in before we go to Hanchi, you know, uh, when one of my students was doing full contact and my buddy Luke, who you met, came and he just went, oh, my God, conditioning, i.e. size and strength within your own body is everything. He goes, I'm seeing a lot of guys who are Ferraris for the first 10 seconds. And once they run out of gas, I don't care if you're a Ferrari, if you have no gas, you ain't going. And he just came home and started training only conditioning. His jits will get better as he goes, but only conditioning. Um, and then the other thing, you know, I think about self-defense courses, the way I think about rehab for people trying to get sober, it can kickstart you. But a year later, it's meaningless when somebody pulls out a baggie or a beer. If you're not in a daily program or a daily spiritual way of defeating it or training martial arts daily. So it's a beautiful kickstart, but it's not going to sustain uh, eight months later when the thing shows up. Hanchi Legacy? Well, uh, on the statement, the bigger person will win is, if all things are equal, the largest person will win. Training, as Randy said, changes everything. And situation self-defenses, or self-defenses are exactly that. Somebody comes up behind you and starts choking you out, you're taught to get out of it, then you have to fight. Mm. so you can't fight when you're in a situation where somebody jumped you from the back but the situation self-defense is a step to to fighting then after that you have to face them unless the self-defense is um, you know 
very deadly. Okay. Break the neck. Yeah, yeah. Break so, the neck. <laughs> uh, we, we also talked about ladies. I've trained a lot of ladies. I know a policeman right now. We give every one of us a tough run for our money. She's an OPP. Leo Lutz is a student of mine. You got his black belt at my dojo. The thing about ladies is this. Ladies pay real close attention to this. If a woman can only put out 35 pounds square pressure per square inch power, and a man can put out 75 pounds pressure per square inch, but it only takes 25 pounds per square inch to knock a man out, it doesn't matter. It's in Shoren, what we're taught is whoever gets that first strike. And that's why speed is important. I have ladies that are trained in my dojo and Randy and his dojo. That would surprise the hell out of you if you put their hands on them. They're also very polite. That's a side effect of being confident as you're polite and you seem to be calm. But, you know, you set them off and you're going to pay the price. So uh, it's all having a good instructor. I, I agree with Randy. When somebody walks into a dojo, choose your instructors wisely. Don't just go into the first place. Don't look at the instructor. Look at the students, see what they're like. That way you'll make the right choice. Hey, Benz, I, I wanna brag about my daughter just for a second here. So Sydney, is a second den under Sensei Legacy. Like she got her black belt second den from him. He's also her godfather. And she now she's grown up in martial arts from like in the womb all the way out to where she is right now. But the other night in here, we were fighting and I have a student, a new student here who got his black belt before and he's actually in law enforcement. And as he was leaving the other night after fight class, he was shaking his head. And I said, what's going on, man? He goes, your daughter beat the shit out of me tonight. He goes, he goes, the bell rang and I got hit so many times from so many different directions. I had no idea what was even going on. So again, she's like a buck 35 and about five foot four. And he was a grown man and she took him to task pretty good because she's got good training. She's Power is a formula. It belongs to everyone. Mm. I think that's the most intriguing part. So I agree 100% with everyone saying, and, and I think the psychology of it is how can we make you, whomever that might be, the best you can be with what you are. So even me as a five foot six guy, how can I use the fact that I'm shorter than most people that I fight to my advantage? Or if I'm training someone uh, of a different size or stature, how can I use that to your advantage? So it's like, and, and, you know, we talked, someone said, uh, you know, uh, I don't forget the exact weight, but Elio Gracie didn't weigh over 140 pounds. So he spent a lot of time on his back when he fought people, but he used that energy to his advantage. So his, his rule was, you know, no time limit, no points. But when you exhausted your own energy and defeated yourself, you know, then he would go for the submission or whatever it might be. And that's, that's what I like about, you know, let's say women's empowerment. Maybe the person attacking you is bigger and stronger and heavier, 
but how can we, how can you use that energy? And uh, obviously, you know, it takes more than a few classes. We get that. But over time, you're right. You know, the hunch is the importance of a good instructor to put that person in place, go, whomever you are of whatever height, whatever weight, whatever sex, I'm going to use that to your advantage to maximize your potential skill. That's the, that's the fascinating piece to me. Love that. And Hunchy, when you said power is a formula, uh, you said that in 1993 when I joined karate and I was hooked because I already loved moving that way. But when I realized there was a way to unlock something using another thing I was reasonable at math, I got really excited. Um, Sensei Sebra, it's time for your 10 questions. The 10 questions are what we ask all of our guests. We asked you to answer as impulsively as possible and then elaborate if you need to. You ready? Let's go. Excited? Sure. What is the <laughs> most effective? Well, I, I'm excited every week. What is the Let's most this. <laughs> What is the most effective move in your martial arts arsenal? Most effective move for me? Yeah. Sidekick. I like I, I like to execute a sidekick. Uh, it's always been my go-to when I'm when I'm sparring. Uh, I don't have the same reach as some people because I'm shorter, but uh, I, I I love to do that that lead leg sidekick and, and to the ribs. Who do you believe is the most influential martial artist of all time, and why? I'd probably say Bruce Lee. Uh, Bruce Lee, uh, everybody knows Bruce Lee. Uh, by the way, it was Ed Parker that really got him introduced into the movies uh, in 1964 when he was at Ed Parker's International Tournament. Uh, and, and, and Bruce Lee, I mean, those are some of the classic movies that really branched off martial arts. Everybody knows Bruce Lee. His speed was tremendous. His skill was tremendous. And, and he... He was decades and decades and decades ahead of his time. Like he, even some of some of those old movies, you could see MMA and groundwork incorporated right back then, far before we knew what UFC was. Who's the most influential martial artist in your life? Does it have to be someone I trained with? No, it can be whoever's. Ed, Ed, Ed Parker. Ed yeah. Parker. I, I I love the Kempo system and. You know, it, it, it's it's interesting that technically there's no material technically beyond fifth degree in American Kempo. I'm learning every single day new stuff because he left so much that there's there there's there's so much linkages between all of the moves that and, and it's and, and you're always kind of growing and expanding off that core base blue curriculum. Uh, I think Ed Parker was an absolute genius and is and in my opinion is right up there alongside uh, he he's my bruce lee in terms of his skill set and his way of thinking again far decades ahead of his time uh, what excites you most about the next five years of your training uh, i i just love continuously learning uh i'm saying this honestly and hum humbly it it has been many years since i missed a single day of training many years and it, it and it's not it's just because it's something I love to do. Like people go, you know, overtraining. You don't want to, but for me, it's like, why do I get up and brush my teeth in the morning? Because I do. You know, why do people go? Why do people go to work? Because they have to. 
I just, I can't go without training in martial arts. It's just something I love to do. So what excites me the most, I would say, is, uh, is just continual growth uh, in all of my martial arts and, and seeing the linkages between maybe a lot of my jujitsu and Filipino training with my tempo. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get there? You helped a lot of people. Mm. Do you have uh, a favorite film and television martial artist independent of their influence? And they might not even be actual martial artists. Do I have a favorite film and television? Film and television, like movie? Yeah, movie martial artist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 and, I, and I know the martial arts isn't very good at it all. I, I, I'm diehard like Karate Kid movies and the Cobra mm. Kai series. I, and, and, and a lot of my, a lot of my uh, martial arts friends, oh, Jamie, the karate is you. I'm not talking about the quality of the karate. I, I, I like the, the morality teaching of it. I, to me, I, I need some acting. And, and, and like when I, when I hear of, you know, the original Karate Kid and Miyagi saying to Daniel, if come from inside, you always the right one. Like there's, there's so much good teaching from that, 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 that I think really exemplifies far beyond what we would get just in a typical MMA about martial arts, about discipline. Good answer. Um, I would I would put a bit of money on knowing your next answer. Is there a martial artist, living or dead, in all of recorded history who you'd like to train with the most? <laughs> oh boy. Um, I, it would be a toss up between uh, between um, Ed Parker and uh, Elio Gracie. Mm. Um, if everyone in the world could have the greatest benefit you've gotten from martial arts, whether they train or not, what would they be getting? Oh, I would say uh, improved physical health and, men and mental health. Like, I don't think this, I, I mean, I think we all think alike because we're all evolved in martial arts. I don't think there's anything better for physical and mental health in martial arts. I really don't. I like going to the gym. I like working out. I like doing kettlebell. I do all that stuff. But ultimately, you know, improve physical fitness improves your 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 body improves your mental health and help helps you make better better choices you won't get an argument out of me um last two questions come as a pair what is your greatest achievement and your greatest regret wow uh martial arts not necessarily um Greatest achievement, uh, I, I married my best friend. Mm -hmm. I, I've been married for uh, coming up on 22 years to, uh, to Chantel is the best decision in my life and she makes me better every day. So that, that's my, my greatest achievement, uh, greatest regret. Um, that's a good one. Greatest regret I would say is um, Oh boy, that's a tough one. Greatest regret in life. I, I try not to live on much regrets. Like I, I can't rewind the past. Um, I guess moving forward, uh, if there's anyone in the past, distant past that I haven't maintained relationship with, I, I, I I'm someone who does not hold on to anything. Uh, honestly, it, it doesn't matter. Honestly 
how bad someone has harmed me shake my hand and it's done like like I, that's but if there's anything in the past that that I, I I have with anyone that I can't think of right now that I I like to keep relationships with everybody right on um did I misread doing my homework on you are you also uh, a ranked uh Shorinjiru? Uh, no, no, I, no, I, I, you know what, for a long a period of time, um, I uh, ran uh, my Kempo Karate School out of family karate centers. Okay. So while I was there, I did the whole curriculum from white to black, but uh, no, I'm not ranked in the Shirinji route. Got it, got it, got it. So, so I wasn't wrong reading it, but, but I'm wrong about that. So that's not something you probably want to chat about too much. No, it's not my, I don't, I, I don't practice any of that. I, my practice, uh, Kempo Karate, Modern Arnis, and uh, uh, Kung Fu and Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Awesome. Um, talk to us about your YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. So I have uh, a YouTube channel, Seabrook Martial Arts Academy. It's really bizarre because when YouTube first came out in like, I want to say 2006, but don't quote me, um, I competed in the World Kempo Karate Championships in, in Baltimore, Maryland, and someone had filmed my caught a division that I fortunately I, I I won the gold in and they put it on YouTube and that was pretty cool and then you know a couple other videos came on and then I thought okay we can kind of do something with this so I I created a channel that I've used uh to uh not only you know put my forms my katas my sets self-defense techniques weaponry um but something that I, I I try to do to give back to the martial arts you know a lot of people they, they like to kind of you know, you know, only come and see me and you'll never, but I, I feel like um, there's a lot of people out there that can use martial arts that don't have it. And there's some that maybe are in it, but they're just not motivated enough. So I, I try to use my channel. I don't chart like there's every, no, no ads or nothing. I try to use my channel and I, I think I have about 1800 subscribers right now. And I, I put out a lot of Kempo Karate content, break down the self-defense techniques break down the form sets. Uh, I'll do some Filipino stick and knife drills and two-person drills and show some jujitsu as well. And uh, I just try to do it as a way to kind of, you know, give back. And uh, I think people could learn a lot. I have playlists broken down of, of, of content. And uh, yeah, I, I really, really, really enjoy doing that as a way to give back to the martial arts community. Love that. And, and you know, you've seen the shift in your time training between a little more gatekeepery type of martial arts and quite literally i can scroll my instagram right now and have world champions show the technique they maybe submitted someone with last weekend so talk about what you think of the shift in that climate and then i'll go around the horn on that climate as in you know the 80s the 90s it's sort of my club the other club we're a little suspicious of them and now you got every martial artist in the world is going this is how i do my thing on Instagram for free. Yeah, you know, like I, I, I still really do believe in, in, in loyalty to your instructor. So I didn't want to say that. I think loyalty is like an important thing. But I also think that, you know, maybe, you know, 80s, 90s, there was very, you train in one style and nothing else. And, and, and a lot of instructors, I think that's okay. I'm not, I'm not, in no way am I, am I being judgmental, maybe still think that way. But um, I, I think, cross training uh gives you a way that you can bring back to your home base art 
and make you stronger in that art. Like, like when I train in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, like I think a lot of my Kempo friends and seniors that are also, you know, around my rank or maybe even as high as 10th degree, they would go, you know, what, what you know, what are you doing with Kempo? And it's making, I have more, I have more faith in Kempo now. I just, I just view things differently. So now with the information out there with YouTube and different channels, yeah, like share, share your knowledge and let's not like have such an ego, like let's get together and, and diversify and realize that there's good from different styles for those that are taking it seriously and train hard. Like I, I love that. Right. I'm, I, that's why I'm very non-political. I'm not like I'm Kenpo karate and nothing else. Like, yeah, like let's all get together and just train and like, yeah, sure. Do an hour of this, do an hour of this. Let, like we'll be, all be better because of it. That's how I view it. Right now, we'll start with Hughes time, Sensei Dofans. So um, we're, we're, you started in the 80s, you know, when it was not that sherry. What do you think about the climate and the pluses and minuses? Uh, I don't know. It, Sensei Legacy always had his good friends. Like there was always the people that we trained with often. Not right. all of them were sure and were karate people. Like, you know, there was lots of other people around who are really good at different martial arts. I like to think that uh, even building on what Sensei Seabrook said is, I mean, you always recognize good quality martial arts when you see it. Like, for example, uh, Doug Knispel. The first time we ever saw him, we're standing on the side of a room and Sensei Legacy said, go get that guy. I want to talk to him. He doesn't do karate. He's a jujitsu. He's a Japanese jujitsu guy, but he's awesome at it. Like, he's so good, right? So, yeah. um I think it doesn't, as long as the quality is good and the person is good, then the training will be good. You know, if I've also been in places where I remember since legacy, like popping this guy in the mouth in a seminar and the guy like started like touching his lip and like freaking out a little bit. And since legacy is like, you're a black belt. Haven't you ever been hit in the head before? And he said, no. And since <laughs> I said, go sit down, like I called another guy, another guy up. Right. So I think like attracts like, as long as the synergy is there, it's, uh, it's good. Right. Like, and there's nothing but, but benefit. And yeah, I would say what says Serino and says legacy have said as well, go find the best teacher you can find. Mm. Right. Like if I'm in some place, even though I've done Shoranru my whole life and I'm a Shoranru guy through and through, that would have been different had I gone to a place where, you know, the judo instructor was amazing and the karate person was crappy, then I would be doing judo right now, right? Like then I'd be doing yeah. judo and I would be all the better for it. So. Right on. Um, Hanchi, what about you? You know, you started, there was online didn't exist. And then now you got people putting out high quality content online for people they'll never meet. How's that all? How does that all feel to you? Well, I got to tell you, the reason, probably the reason with me is I'm a one art guy. The reason for that is the reason that you may not be able to face a jujitsu guy is because you haven't been trained enough or you haven't trained yourself good enough in your art. So how do you, if you, you're racing around all over the place and you have a student and he wants to be a short and new guy and train short and new, how do you get it? How did you stay ahead of them? Okay. Um, I just want to 
just want to say something I worked on here. And this is a quote from everyone that I know of here respects. It's from Musashi. You think he did judo or doing size or did uh, ice skating? This is what he says. We should de dedicate our time to one skill and make thousands of ways out of it. Give yourself time to truly grasp what is in your hand, end quote. In order for you to become skilled enough to defend yourself against everything else, you have to spend 35 years just to become a karate master. If you're getting a fifth dan in this, a fourth dan in that, are you getting the fact that you're never gonna be a tenth dan? Because you're running sideways. You're not running, running straight at your art. Choose an art. I'm not saying Shorin is the best, but I'm saying if you choose an art like Gojiru, EI, uh, Kempo, dedicate yourself to that art or the art is not going to prosper. Who are you going to have? Guys who knows all sorts of different things. Who is going to be the grandmaster of Shorin Room? We need a guy who's a pure practitioner. And that's my opinion. And I'm not saying what these are doing are wrong. Yes, I've tried weapons and everything, but I've still done all my training in Shorin. I'm a Shorin guy. I will die a Shorin. Some people fall in love with the flashy things. But what you have to do is fall in love with your art. Be with it the rest of your life. Then you'll become a real master. And that's the only way you can pay back. There are millions of fifth dance, but they're not millions of grandmasters. They're just persons who set out in a goal, got deterred by other things. And again, I'm saying I'm an old guy and that's my old way of thinking. Thanks, Anji. Sensei Suino. I still want to see what happens when somebody decides they want to go punch that old guy in the face. <laughs> um, man, uh, you know, I've studied a lot of different martial arts. I will, I started early. I'll train until I can't move anymore. I still believe the best martial artists I know are the ones who started in a single martial art and spent a long time in that art. Like when you get enough of a foundation, it might be the case that, you know, you spent, uh, you know, three decades doing karate and you learn judo. Really what you're doing is just expanding your understanding of that, of that art. Um, so I think, I think the life chose me. I didn't choose it. I, my mind is such that I have trouble doing one thing and one thing only. And so I've always done many martial arts. I'm lucky enough to have been gotten pretty good at a few of them. Uh, but I think for most people, what Hanshi said is true. You're probably going to end up being a lot better by focusing on one, maybe dabbling in others. But I'll make this picture bigger. And that is, I just think the martial arts is one of the best things a human being can do. And, and almost everybody that does it doesn't give it enough. They don't put enough time in mm. practice. They don't stay in it enough decades. They don't do enough reflection. They don't seek out the, enough teachers. Uh, so, you know, if 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 I were maybe waving a magic wand for people who really wanted to change their lives in more significant ways, 
they just need to spend more time at it. They, they need to be more intense. They need to focus on it. And that may get you a lot of the benefits that you get from studying one martial art for a lifetime. Thanks, Sensei. Uh, Sensei Seabrook, back to you. You know, we, we don't have a ton of time left, but talk to us about your uh, your Filipino martial arts. Talk to us about your Arnis and how that fits in yeah. and benefits that's given you with your empty hand. Yeah, so again, like, like to take that perspective of this is me, the one art which will always be Kempo, but the diverse perspectives. I'll give you an example. I'm a PhD in sociology. I don't want to keep things within my sociology only di discipline department because the best research incorporates different disciplines. If I say, if I give a, if I give a talk on social determinants of health, but I'm afraid to speak of genetics because sociologists don't speak of genetics, in my opinion, that's ridiculous because genetics matter, but so do, uh, so do education, so does income, so does poverty, so does race, so does ethnicity, so does age. I can go on and on and on. In my opinion, the best research comes from multidisciplinary perspectives, still within your framework, but you take advantage of geography, of, of, uh, of uh, genetics, whatever, psychology, whatever it might be. My home base is Kempo, but I refuse to believe that one art is all encompassing and perfect. I, that's me. So to answer your question, I believe if you want to be better with uh, weapons training, you learn a weapons-based martial art like Filipino martial arts, which is predominantly weapons-based, but also has empty hand. If you want to learn what to do, if the fight goes to the ground, then you are better getting a, some knowledge from the grappling martial arts. And for me, when I've watched people fight, for example, you can, we can call it sport, but I mean, the original UFC, you couldn't bite or eye gouge. Let's be honest. That's what you couldn't do. In fact, if you did that, you would lose your purse. You would lose your pay but you wouldn't be kicked out. I mean, that's as real as it gets. And what I saw at the time was that many of the people from striking arts that thought they were gonna win, didn't win. That's what I saw. And to me, I went, I can't ignore that and just go, uh, grappling arts aren't for me. There's something I should probably learn here, maybe, because it's easy to go, this is my perspective. It's easy to say, well, I'm a stand-up striking guy. But if the fight goes to the ground, I'll still beat you on the ground. If my, if what I was good at didn't work at what I was best at, what makes me think it all of a sudden it's going to work on the ground? So this is where I honestly feel that some knowledge of what to do on the ground is absolutely paramount. So for me, my base art is Kempo, but I feel like it's an advantage to be able to use some of these different perspectives to bring me back to my home base of Kempo. Nobody disagrees with that. Yeah. But not, I would say probably 0.00001 persons learning a martial, martial art will enter an MMA ring and face a person with all those skills. Oh, for sure. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. But I just I, love that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always think about that thing Leo Lauk said. And I, for me, you know, it actually sits with both of you gentlemen's last two opinions which is if you hit someone with your best technique and you don't knock them out you're in trouble and to me that if i'm thinking of haunchy legacy what he's talking about is so you better go practice your punch 
more and not be off doing other things. The flip side is if you're not there yet, you might wish you'd done a little something else when that punch didn't work. So it's a really fun question and we love chatting about it. Um, do you want to give any shout out to, to your Arnese instructor who, who we, we have heard his name before and, and what working with him is like before we do our round the horn? Uh, me? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 it used to be Grandmaster Remy Priestess, and recently I, I'm uh, now back with uh, Grand, uh, Grandmaster Tim Hartman. So I'm looking forward to uh, back working with him again and had my first uh, big seminar with him last year and maybe again next month, I guess, uh, was what I'm hearing is maybe in the works. So looking forward to that a lot and yeah, going from there. Right on. And, and help uh, just our, our listeners understand what, what, why do we keep hearing the Grandmaster's name? Is there something you can tell us about him that just why he emanates out that way? Uh, just uh, high, high, high skill. Like it's uh, his ability to, to teach the art in a way that um, is, um, is very welcoming. It, it, there's nothing to me better than an atmosphere that's welcoming. And uh, I just love the, the, the atmosphere. Right on. Um, you did mention that you'd watched an episode or two of the show. So you, you know the way we go out on the show is we go around the horn. We yeah. start with Hunchy Legacy. We just talk about our time with you. And then the last word will go to you before we do a little bit of housekeeping for the upcoming weeks. Um, Hunchy Legacy, what do you want to say about our conversation tonight? Well, it was a great conversation. You know, because you have different views, that's what really makes a conversation. There are different people doing different things. However, I, I have learned, uh, I never knew you before, but I've learned that you're uh, dedicated to martial arts and that you have full knowledge and you know the ground that you're standing on. And we appreciate you coming to our show and making yourself known. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thanks, Hanchi. Sensei Suino. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It um, It has been... Uh, really nice textured conversation uh, because of we layered in conversation about a variety of different martial arts, some slightly different points of view um, that we were able to chew on. Uh, love to chew on that more. And as we as we say to the folks that I think we have most interesting conversations with, it'd be fun to chew on this over a, over a beverage a, a, around a fire pit or something at some point after some training. So we'll have to make that happen. Uh, you know, we've, we've got the opportunities. The only thing that stops it is uh, that we haven't done it yet. We'll get there. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks, Sensei. Sweeno, Sensei Dofat? Yes, yeah, so I write notes. If you've seen the show, I write notes. So just things that resonate with me when you're saying them, and a lot of things always resonate. Um, common ground, right? When you have people who've been in martial arts for a long time, the thinking is always or often the same, and the path is usually very similar. Um, I like when you said about, uh, you said it about a knife, right? The longer you battle with somebody, the higher chance you're going to get cut. I, I really, that resonates with me, even in striking, right? The, the longer you mix it up with somebody, the more chances you're going to get hit while you're mixing it up with them. Uh, I think it's pretty cool that it was like 85 karate and then 87 Arnis. That's very similar to me. It was like, 89 karate and then 92 eido like you know and again since it, like yourself that was just part of the kempo system and myself sense of legacy brought me to that and that's how i met sense of suino i love the discussion that we had about uh 
uh, Wally J and the small circle jujitsu and the fact that that was something that inspired you to become a more serious martial artist. That's extremely cool. Uh, totally agree. Losing makes you better. You, I think the first five or six years when I was fighting with Sense Legacy and the various black belts, it just, it was just an exercise of getting your ass kicked and going home and like putting shit on your bruises and taking aspirins and then coming back uh, for the, the next class. So uh, I agree with that. I like the stuff you said. I always like to learn things about the new, uh, like we haven't had an American Kempo on master on yet. So it was really nice. Like, when you talked about, you know, the rules of motion and blending the different ranges and techniques, uh, like weapons, striking, clinching, etc. And I really liked when you said in order to be good at it, you got to be good at feeling it, you got to feel it in order to be good at it. That's, I like that. That's something good. Um, most influential person is Bruce Lee at least 50%, you're in the crowd of at least 50 to 60% of the people who come on the show say Bruce Lee, right? We should start bets on it. Um, I will also say that'll make you laugh is one of uh, Benson's favorite pastimes is to go on Bruce Lee networks and, <laughs> and troll them by putting stuff on there because they get so rabid and aggressive. It's so easy to get irritated when you say stuff about him. It's almost like a religion, but yeah. Uh, just a little bit of shit posting here and there. <laughs> I like that you said Ed Parker, like a person you didn't train with is uh, somebody who's very influential in your life because I think, you know, a sense of legacy and I would agree that it's Matsumura would be a person, even though we never met him, he's very influential in our life. Um, next five years, that it's been many years since you've missed the day of training. When you mm -hmm. said that, I was like, damn, when's the last day that I woke up and I didn't train? Like I didn't do some karate or do some Yaido or like, I can't, nothing came to, it would have to be like if I was sick or something. And I can't remember the last time that that happened either. Um, mental and physical health, greatest benefit, like being mentally calm and physically capable and relaxed is really good. I also like when you said that you married your best friend. Um, I read that resonated with me because it took me like 25 years to find her, but then eventually I found my best friend who I had known for 25 years and uh, now we're together and it's the best thing ever when you you have that in your life. So thanks so much, uh, Sensei Seabrook, for coming on. It's been a really enjoyable conversation. Sean? Um, yeah, Sensei, I've really loved this chat. It's been such a pleasure to get to know you. And I just wrote down three little things. One, you know, just when you're talking about it, Parker, and just the way you said, I love the system. You know, we're talking about cross-training, we're talking about different arts, but to hear your passion that we all share for our own art that committedly and deeply, you know, like recognizes like, and I really appreciated that. Uh, Sensei just mentioned this, but yeah, mental health, like that's something like, I'm pretty like, you know, spiritual and 12-step and uh, go track the Himalayas. And there's guys in martial arts I know who don't do any of that and are as mentally healthy as I am. For the simple reason that they do martial arts, because this is the great equalizer. It gets those brain waves exactly where you need them. And uh, it's the cheapest and best form of therapy on the planet. And I think it also makes us love each other more because nobody cares what color or sex or this or that you are when the gi goes on. It's who's doing the work and everything else tends to fade. And uh, and yeah, the last thing, you know, I just as the whole time you're talking and 
there's no specific guest I'm thinking of, but there's no aspect to what you're saying where I feel like you're trying to present that you know more than you know. And there's an authenticity. It's like, this is what I know. This is what I do. And Hanchi said it, like the ground beneath your feet. And I love that. It's your ground. It's beneath your feet. And you're speaking from that place. And it's it's such a pleasure to have that convo. And like Sensei Suino said, I look forward to having it in person, maybe after a bit of sweating together. Um, what do you want to go out on? What do you want to say? Yeah, I just want to say a couple of things. One is thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a, it was a, a pleasure and an honor to, to be on the show and to get such amazing uh, uh, diverse perspectives. And uh, we all have a strong, strong passion for martial arts. And, you know, I just, this is me. I, I believe that um, uh, humility is the path to, to true martial arts success. And when we when we realize that regardless of our skill level, our rank or whatever it might be, um, there's a lot out there. Like there's a, there's, there's a lot out there. And, and sometimes I feel like, um, you know, the more I learn, I feel like, yeah, maybe there's also a lot that I don't, there's a lot that I don't know too. And that's, and that's where, um, you know, even, even though I know, for example, the complete system of Kempo right now, you know, again, when I tie in and learn some of the Gracie jujitsu, I go, oh, there's a lot of Kempo that that hasn't been unearthed because of some of the diverse perspectives from the jujitsu. And then when I teach Kempo, the exact same blueprint that Ed Parker taught, and I say, hey, here's maybe a jujitsu perspective of that, it changes things, but yet it's still completely within the framework of mm-hmm. American Kempo. So I just say, you know, uh, to, you know, staying on the humble path and desire and to desire to be better. That's, that's so key. And I think, well, I know all of us in this call really have that. So that's pretty awesome. By the way, I've been on lots of these shows before, but not this one. This is like a really cool, serious group that really love martial arts. Like it's really, it's really, I, I, I can tell, like I've been on many, but this is great. I, everyone's so serious and I love it. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> thank you for that uh sensei speaking of serious what is seriously coming up for us so we're gonna i can't remember which short we're gonna drop next thursday but mm-hmm. uh, we don't i don't think uh, next thursday we don't have a show nope. and then the thursday after that it's uh chris hansen but uh i also we didn't do something last time that we got to make sure we do which is we didn't talk about some of the things that we actually have coming up like oh God, one, of them, one of them being the Matsumore Challenge, our karate tournament that we've been doing for over 40 years. That's on the 18th. And we also have the Crucible in Michigan with Census Fino. That's coming up the very weekend after that. 12-hour training experience. It's an amazing training experience. Uh, we have an Iaido training camp coming up with Census Fino as well here in Kitchener. Um, camp Bushi. Since Legacy and I have been talking about this, we've run a martial arts camp every year and we're putting it back on again this year, second week of July. People are welcome to come. If you go on punchkickchokechat.com, you'll find all these dates and, and events. And one thing I do also want to mention is our good friend, great martial artist, Sensei Conrad Copeland, is having his tournament, mm-hmm. the Windsor Open in June. It's also a great martial arts event and you should get your ass to some of these things. Go to all of them, but if you can't go to all of them, try and get yourself to one, except the Crucible, because it's been sold out for a long time and you can't go now. So 
you missed the word on that one already. <laughs> Thanks, Sensei. And yeah, do go to all of them. I mean, we all said how much we were going to do when we were locked down. So make sure you're doing it. And it's uh, don't don't make that have been an empty bit of uh, talking. Um, I want to say thank you to Andre Sedeshev running our show tonight, Robert Shlumsky, Alden Adair, Justin Shea, Jesse Vlevitao, and Dan Holland uh, III. They run the show behind the scenes. They keep those Instagram posts going. They keep you knowing what's up. And they help us with the website and all, all the stuff. We don't have a show without them. We're so grateful. And we're so grateful for you, the audience. Thanks for being here with us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Right. Have a great night. night. Thanks, everyone.